Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. Hey everybody, it's Don LaGreca and welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. Hopefully everybody is having a tremendous day and had a great weekend. Couldn't do the podcast on Friday. I was at the Garden doing the Rangers-Blue Jackets game. It just got too much going on, so I apologize for that. No EJ today either. We'll try to get him a little bit later on in the week, but hopefully uh, we'll be able to get along without him. There's a lot to discuss, but there was... A conference call today that Gary Bettman ran with the National Hockey League and just kind of explaining his side of everything that happened with the Blackhawks situation. And I know everybody wants to get back into hockey, and I do too, but I just thought I wanted to comment on some of the things that Gary Bettman said. And it was nothing really earth-shattering, just that, you know, he as bad as the week was for the NHL, it's not nearly as bad as what had Kyle Beach had gone through over the last 11 years and how he had spoke to him on Saturday and why he dealt so harshly with the Blackhawks. He explained a couple of things that were kind of debatable as far as the harshness of the fine, uh, $2 million on the Blackhawks organization. He said you could certainly debate whether it's enough, and we talked about it here on the podcast, that when you've seen teams get banged for a million dollars more for a circumvention of the salary cap that this seemed to be worth more but he did mention that you know Wurtz not knowing anything about it uh, might have led to why there might have been more of a lenient fine their cooperation with the investigation and all that so it's certainly going to be debatable and I'm not going to sit here and debate it there it just did seem to be a little light Um, although Wirtz may not be as culpable as the management side of things, although an owner has to know what's going on with his team, thus the fine. So uh, that's where they came down to that. I thought the most interesting part of it was his decision to allow Joel Quinville to coach last week before he resigned. And I I thought Gary was a little wrong. I forget the exact number of games he's coached since the incident, 880-something games. and You can't look at it that way, all right? There were no allegations up until recently. The allegations are out there. Gary Bettman said he didn't want to feel like he was prejudging Quinville by forcing him to not coach in that game. But I don't look at it that way. I look at it as, listen, there's a lot of things swirling around here. It's not really appropriate for you to be able to coach this game. You can go back behind the bench if we find everything's okay, like they did with Kevin Day off, and we'll get to that in just a second. I agree to disagree with the commissioner. There's no way that Quinville should have been allowed to coach, and I just don't agree with his reasoning. But he obviously has been getting a lot of pushback and felt like he had to respond, and we're never going to get uh, him to be uh, convinced otherwise. But I just didn't think his explanation was all that great in using the analogy of all the games that he has coached since the allegations and what's one more or 
you know, I don't want one to prejudge him. Well, listen, there's a, there's a lot of times that before somebody goes to a court of law, they're unable to work or they have to be held because of the allegations are so serious and he was the coach of the team and nothing was done and I didn't think it was that important for him to be able to coach in that game and get that one more win. And we'll see what happens with Joel moving forward as he stepped down as head coach of the Florida Panthers. And um, Andrew Burnett's come in on the last two games, 1-0-1 on an interim basis. They suffered their first loss, but it came in a shootout over the weekend against Boston. So everything seems to be moving forward for the Panthers. As far as the conversation with Kevin Chevaldayoff, it just came right down to this. Now, you can look at scorched earth and just say everybody's got to go. Everybody that knew has to be let go. But according to the evidence and according to Kevin Chevaldayoff and the conversation that Gary Bettman had with him was simply that his first knowledge of it came after the conference final against San Jose, that's when he learned about it. He was told that it was going to be taken care of. He was not, as the assistant general manager, in a position of authority to really do anything except present it to the higher-ups who already had known about it. So it turned out that Kevin Sheveldayoff's job is safe as general manager of the Winnipeg Jets. You may agree to disagree. I understand that, but those were the explanations earlier today from Gary Bettman. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now let's just get in to the hockey, shall we? Now, I got a chance to really dive into the Seattle Kraken last night calling that game against the New York Rangers. And there's a couple of things we need to understand about the Kraken, all right? It is unfair to judge them based on what the Golden Knights did in 17-18 by going to the Stanley Cup Final. Now, the, every, the rules are the same, and Seattle has built a really nice team. I, I really believe that they're a competitive team. They've run their 500 right now, only 500 at home. But they, are, they don't have a bunch of superstars, but they're a very well-run, well-oiled machine that works their tail off, okay? And they did last night, and the games that I watched, they forecheck, they're physical, and this is a team that I think is going to be good relatively soon. The difference between the Kraken and the Golden Knights is that the Golden Knights were built the same way, but nobody saw Carlson and Marcheseau and Tuck and Smith emerge into the players that they became. So what the what Seattle needs to have is have those players have career years, and then they could be a playoff team and really you know jump off the mat quickly. And we'll see if that happens. Tanif is an excellent player. I, I really like uh, Gord. You could see, see that he came from a place of winning with Tampa Bay. I think Geeky is really good. He was a high draft pick in Carolina. Grubauer is a quality goaltender. Uh, I like their blue line. Orlexiak is very solid. Larson now playing on his third team, but he's pretty good. Um, I thought Lozon did a great job in Boston. So I think this team is talented. I think this team is well run. I think this team is well coached, although I was never a Hackstall fan. I think he's doing a good job there. But 
They just need the emergence of some players the way they got it in Vegas, and I think that's the big difference, and I think that was just a perfect storm with the Golden Knights and some players that were just ready to pop at that moment, and they did, and I'm not sure that's going to happen in Seattle, although it can, but I do. I was really impressed with that team. I'm really impressed with the building, and, and I, I really enjoyed calling that game last night between the Kraken and the Rangers, and I wanted to get that in there. Um, as far as the Rangers are concerned, uh, off to a great start, something we have not seen seen in half a decade with his team but it's all not great okay I mean I don't want to nitpick off a 6-2 and 1 start but you take a look at some of the things that just are not working this power play continues to struggle uh, it's a team that I think sometimes goes into a bit of a lulls. They were completely outplayed in the second period last night and were fortunate to be in a 1-1 tie and not be trailing. And they've had a couple of games now, Toronto and now the game against Seattle, where they were thoroughly outplayed, but the goaltending really helped them out. And that's the good news with because um, right now Shesterkin has just been tremendous for this team. And if he's going to play at this level the rest of the year, I think the Rangers are going to be a playoff team. Still want to see a little bit more from Panarin. He showed the vision on the Fox goal. And he's been getting assists, but not only just guys the one goal. So Banajad, I don't know if he's going through an injury or whatever, but kind of getting off to the slow start like he did last year. Last year was explained away by COVID. Not sure where the situation is here. Effective, but still not at a high level. Uh, Kreider's got seven goals in the first nine games. That's the most over the first nine games of the season since Rick Nash had nine in nine games at the start of the 14-15 season. So that's a pretty good star for him, although I think he can play better. I think Lafaniere has emerged now as becoming a star, driving towards the net, and Fox is just unbelievable. He really is. I mean, he's every bit the Norris Trophy winner he was last year, if not better. Uh, So there's a lot of good. There's some things that need to be improved here, but I think the Rangers have to be very happy with the start they're off to. They've struggled early in seasons the last few. Things are a little bit different. They've been under 500 in uh, the first 10 games over the last four seasons. Uh, Now they're guaranteed to be above 500 in the first 10 games. They'll play, play their 10th game tomorrow in, in, in Vancouver against the Canucks. And, and that's another thing, too. The Rangers have only they've, they've only played, what is it, uh, two home games, right? They played the game against Dallas. They played, oh, three, Dallas, Calgary, and Columbus. And they're 1-1-1 one, one, and one in their three. So six of their first nine games have been on the road. They're right now in the midst of a second four-game road trip. And, and every bit about the road. You know, sometimes when you play in the Metropolitan Division, you can play four consecutive games on the road. But because there's so many games, so many teams in close proximity, you can return home, sleep in your own bed, practice in your own facility, and go back on the road again. That's not happened. The first four-game road trip was all exclusively on the road, including like a weird trip where they go from Toronto to Nashville uh, back up to uh, Canada again to take on Ottawa. And then they've got the Western Swing here, Seattle, Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary. And boy, the last two games of that trip going to be a beast. Back-to-back nights against Edmonton and Calgary, two of the best teams in the NHL. So uh, that's going to be tough. But the Rangers get the win uh, last night, and they'll start playing more games uh, at home soon. And, and I think they've really got a chance to become a playoff team here, take advantage of the slow start uh, from the Islanders. Washington has been very good in that division, have not lost in regulation yet, although they have three losses uh, in overtime. But what can you say about the Carolina Hurricanes, right? I mean, they're 8-0. and I think it's one of only eight teams ever in the history of the NHL to start 8-0. and And this is legit. And it's time for people to start acknowledging Rod Brindamore as one of the best coaches in the NHL. And it's tough. 
it's really tough to be a star in the NHL like he was and then become a star as a coach in the NHL, but he they, they're really coming together there. Florida suffered their first loss, as I mentioned, in a shootout to Boston, but their spectacular Barkoff is emerging as one of the best players in the league. So you got Tampa back-to-back cups. Carolina's the best team. Florida right there. So you're getting these non-traditional hockey markets really flexing their muscle, and I think it's really good uh, for the National Hockey League. Look at the games uh, from last night. Uh, Devils do earn a point. They lose at home to the Blue Jackets. It's by the final score of four to three. Got to be impressed with what the Blue Jackets have been able to do, uh, do so far this year. And Lineace found a home here. Uh, Jenner is starting to emerge. I'm not sure he's a top line center. I think that might be an Achilles heel for the Blue Jackets moving forward. But they are a pretty good team, and and like the Devils, they're kind of in the same boat. They're not playoff teams, but they should be much better than they were last year. And the future is bright in both of those places. And I'm I'm a fan of Larson as coach there uh, in Columbus. Can Canadians continue to struggle. The worst thing that can happen for a franchise that's the mess that the Montreal Canadiens are is to go on a Western swing. And even though they're not great teams out there, they lose to the Kings and the Ducks back-to-back. Caulfield sent down. Uh, they're just a mess. Mentioned the Hurricanes win over the Coyotes. Coyotes yet to win a game. Blackhawks yet to win a game so far this season. And the Kings with their 3-2 win over the Buffalo Sabres. Things beginning to slow down a bit uh, for Buffalo. You knew that was going to happen, but still in second place in the Atlantic Division. Detroit also a bit of a surprise, too, at 4-3-2. and two. Raymond has had a really good start for them. Not sure it's going to be sustainable, uh, but those are the top three teams in the Atlantic Division. Um, but you're going to start to see uh, you know, Tampa is going to get their act together. I think Toronto is going to be better. Boston certainly is going to be better. Islanders are going to be better. Pittsburgh's starting to come back down to earth here. Plus one goal differential is pretty good. They played so many games at home, two, three, and one. That's what would be concerning me if I was a Penguins fan. You know, we kind of waiting to see when the worm was going to turn on this franchise. Didn't happen last year. Got off to the quick start. But this is a team that's played six of their eight games at home and are under 500 at home. Now 3-3-2 three, three, and two on the year. They've lost three consecutive games. Ottawa's come back down to earth here. So things are going to start to change here. The most games played in the National Hockey League is nine, or excuse me, ten. Anaheim played their tenth game yesterday afternoon. So certainly not enough of a sample to know where teams are going to be. But certainly things are going to start to um evolve here as we get deeper and deeper into the season but getting off to that good start is always important give yourself a margin for error that's why it's so important for teams like Buffalo and Detroit teams that are probably not going to make the playoffs get a little bit of a taste here and maybe build themselves a little bit of a margin for error at least make things interesting as we get down to the stretch of the season all right let's hear from you at Don LaGreca hashtag game misconduct and we'll start it off with David Day who says the Canes are a fun watch do you think that they are ready to win the cup? I do. I mean, this is, remember, it's so easy. You know, we think about the Eastern Conference, right? And Tampa winning back to back cups and the Islanders going to the conference final back to back years. But Carolina has been a consistent playoff team. All right. They've won in the playoffs. They were the team that ended the Islanders' run three years ago, beating them in the second round uh, when it looked like the Islanders were going to go to the conference final before they ended up going to back to back over the last two years. So Brenda Moore's got experience. Experience. He, you know, he's been in a ton of playoff games, ton of finals as a player, won a cup in Carolina. That team is is certainly ready. Now, whether they're going to be good enough or not, we'll see. But that's not a team that's going to lose out 
because of inexperience. All right, now, do you have the experience that Tampa has? No, but, you know, Tampa's lost some pieces here. You know, with the expansion draft, losing Yanni Gord. You know, they lose uh, Johnson, who was a big postseason uh, player for them. You know, losing Goudreau, who's now a member of the Rangers. There's some pieces that have been picked apart from Tampa. And with Florida and Carolina emerging in the Eastern Conference, you know, it's going to be tough for Tampa to be able to duplicate what they've done over the last couple of years. So there's a lot of experience there in Tampa. But, you know, when you're going up against Florida – um, who has less experience than Carolina does. Um, certainly there's more experience for Boston, but are they right now a team that you can slide in there as good as Carolina and Florida just now? So I think Carolina is certainly ready. Uh, Patrick Sell says, will Paul Cat be suspended for the Zegras hit in the Anaheim game against the Canadians? I saw it. I've watched it a couple of times. It's clearly a boarding penalty. He clearly knew that um, Zegres' uh, back was turned, and I think it will warrant a suspension, maybe a game, just because he didn't look like – it seemed like a reckless play to me. Now, was it the end of the world? Was it the worst hit that I ever saw? But clearly, it's been going on for a decade now. Do not hit a player in the back. Do not hit a player that's that close to the boards. And it seemed very, very reckless on Paquette. And I think he will definitely be suspended for that. Tony says, should the Leafs be in business on making any sort of move for a goalie at the deadline? Being so tight on the cap, I don't know who's available and what's possible. Thoughts? Well, We've speculated so much just because of how much Georgiev is making. Is there a natural fit between the Rangers and the Leafs for Georgiev to go? But again, you just brought up the biggest problem, Tony, and that's the cap restrictions. These goalies need to make money. Movement is going to have to happen to fit them in. There's plenty of goaltenders out there that can be available. But in the world that we're living in now where coaches are loath to play goaltenders more than 65 games that means you're going to want a capable guy that can go out there and play north of 25 games you don't want to be giving those guys away now the rangers do have an excess of goaltenders i think there's a fit there i always believe there would be a fit there there's the awkwardness of them both competing in the eastern conference and maybe competing for the same landscape for a wild card but i've always looked at that maybe being a natural fit but we'll see if speaking of fit they can get it under the cap Tim says, how concerned are you with the Islanders' start? Everly and Letty did so much for them. I know they have guys who can step up, but they don't seem to be. The loss to Nashville seems like a game they usually win. I thought the same thing. Uh, I was out, actually out and about on Saturday, so I listened to a lot of this game, and I'm listening to the game. I'm like, oh, they're going to win this game. They're going to find a way to win this game. And then once you get, uh, obviously, to the shootout, everything is kind of thrown up there. And, and I thought that was a tough loss because I don't think Nashville is a playoff team. And that was a little disconcerting to me. I really thought that they had gotten um, – everything going listen they lost some pieces as you mentioned Everly is gone Letty is gone um Lee uh is back in the lineup he missed I think one game because of illness Sorokin has been really good although he got off to a bit of a slow start they're gonna figure this out all right I think the Islanders if you were now listen Tampa won a cup so it's not the same thing but uh, we we saw Tampa last year get off to a slow start you're like why, why is Tampa off to such a slow start doesn't make a lot of sense well you know it makes perfect sense because of all the games that they played and how late this season ended, um, it's going to kind of catch up with you. And, and the Islanders have played so many games the last couple of years, going to the conference final six the year before, uh, the year before that seven, um, you know, playing deep into the fall and then having a the quick turnaround this year. Some pieces, some changes, some very important leadership players walk out the door. 
it's going to take a little time. And I do think they're going to they're going to get the huge break because of the Olympic uh, break. That's going to help them tremendously. And the Islanders might be one of those teams where you know you how how do you get up for games in October when you were within a, a goal of being able to get to a Stanley Cup final for the first time since 1983? Boy, it probably feels like a lot of these games don't have the same meaning. Plus, you got a little bit of a target on your back. They're considered one of the elite teams. I, I know it sounds like I'm making excuses, but I think these things come into play for some of these teams early on. But the Islanders are just too well coached, too well run to throw away anything. So maybe it will cost them winning the division. Maybe it will cost them home ice advantage. And let's not forget that, exclusively playing on the road here, not having the benefit of having any home games whatsoever. By the time the dust settles, it's going to be into November before they're going to get a chance to play at UBS arena all of these things factor into not the greatest of starts i would not be overly concerned about it uh troy says how scary is the kraken they seem to have great puck possession every time i'm watching them as i mentioned in the open absolutely that's the one thing you cannot um manufacture and that's effort you know there's are they the most talented team in the world no are they the most well coached team in the world no but these guys all bring effort and you see that and they were the better team last night against the rangers and probably deserved a better fate goaltending was a little bit better i think grubauer wanted those two goals back i wasn't in love with the Kreider goal over his glove certainly i think he could have uh, got more of the fox shot he got a clear lane that was a heck of a shot by fox and Kreider. But Grubauer makes just one of those saves. It might be a completely different situation. Sam Diaz says, do you know, Don, I know they're winning, but Panarin and Zabanajad with one goal each in nine games is a little worrisome. Uh, they're grinding it out, and Igor has been phenomenal, but the Rangers are going to struggle against the better teams without goals for the, from those two. Your thoughts? Well, we saw that the other night, I guess a week ago tonight, against Calgary. You know, Calgary is just an amazing team. What, five consecutive wins, and they're one of the best teams in the league, and they kind of threw the Rangers around a little bit in that 5-1 game. That was a 2-1 game early in the third, so it wasn't completely the blowout, and, and, and the fifth goal was a, was a power play goal very late in the game. But, you know, you're seeing it there that, you know, you're going to go up against elite teams and just grinding it out and working hard and your goaltender standing on his head isn't always going to be the answer. So they need to play better. I mean, that's the good news is they're 6-2-1 and one and that they can play better. And imagine what they can be when Panarin and Zabanajad wake up a bit. But, you know, I, I keep an eye on that and we'll see what happens the rest of this uh, road trip. I will be on the call for all the rest of uh, the next three games on this road trip in Vancouver and then over the weekend on Friday and Saturday in Edmonton and Calgary. Uh, Jeremy asks, how competitive can the Devils be this season? Very competitive. And when we did our season preview, EJ Raddick mentioned it. You know, Hamilton's a really good player. He really is. And they're getting some decent goaltending. And they're so young. And some of these guys are beginning to mature a little bit. I, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on the Devils. Again, I think the division's too tough. Just like Columbus, they're not going to make the playoffs. But they're going to be competitive every single night. And I think that's very, very important. Uh, Zach says, uh, with very notable people involved in the Hawks scandal, does this change their possible inclusion into the Hall of Fame? I'd say yes. Big lack of leadership from Quinville, Taves, Kane, Keith, etc. Inexcusable actions, plus Caves, uh, Tane and Caves' recent comments is a bad look for the team. More so Taves than Kane. At least Kane held them accountable we'll see if time tells Uh, again i don't want to make excuses for players but these guys were in their early 20s at the time um 
how much they knew, how much they were involved in it. It's all kind of hearsay at this point. I think the players will get into the Hall of Fame. Um, Joel Quinville is another story. Now, Joel Quinville is the second winningest coach in the history of the NHL. You know, and so no, no question, his credentials say that he should go into the Hall of Fame. But is this a big enough mark? to keep him out I say yes so quick answer I think the players find their way in Quinville might be somebody that ends up not making it all and um, hey that's the way it goes seems to be deserved all right let's close it out with Paul Joseph says hey Don can you rank the top TV booths in the NHL I think Sam and Joe do a masterful job as being a Mets fan I also feel like that they've always been lucky to have the upper echelon booths in hockey Wondering your opinion. You know, New York has been spectacular. You know, listen, it's tough for me because I know a lot of these people and they're my colleagues. So by ranking one higher than the other puts me in a really awkward position. I'm really proud of the National Hockey League. They really, everybody does a terrific job. They do. I mean, right now, congratulations uh, to Brendan Burke, won an Emmy for his job as play by play voice of the New York Islanders, does a tremendous, tremendous job. Uh, with Butch Goring. I think the Devils uh, broadcast is very good. Uh, Steve Cangelosi is one of the best. Does a great job with Ken Danico, who's a friend of mine and a friend of the show. And of course, you just mentioned Joe and Sam are institutions. Uh, Joe was able to do the Islanders and made the amazing transition of going from the Islanders and the Rangers and also having to replace John Davidson, which was not an easy task at all. So, uh, listen, I don't want to get into ranking them because, again, I know every one of these people and they, a lot of them listen to this podcast, but I know it's going to be lame, but they all do a really, really terrific job. All right, this is a lot of fun. We'll get back to work on Wednesday with a new podcast. You want to get in touch with me, the best way to do that is at Don LaGreca, hashtag Game Misconduct. We will talk to you again on Wednesday. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.